official soccer podcast. Sulaiman, this is our 27th episode. This is incredible how far we've gone. Yes, Bori, what a long way we've come. And I am most excited by the fact that this interesting game keeps giving us things to talk about, talking points to ruminate over. And I cannot wait to dive into the events that filled up this weekend. Yes, later on in the episode, we'll be talking about our El Clasico reactions and the howl that happened in Liverpool. And uh, we also have a VAR decision coming up where in our EPL section of the game. And uh, obviously, a lot of things are shaking up in the bully. So I can't wait to discuss all these with you. Let's start with the UCL uh, reaction from this past week. Um, we had a very great surprise, and I pre- I'm pretty sure both of us got this wrong, and we didn't realize that Lyon was going to beat Juventus. Um, and, I mean, the Juventus has actually been kind of bad, I, I mean, compared to previous seasons, but I was not expecting a loss at, at, at Lyon. So I know you called this. You said this was going to be a tie. And I had said that Juventus was going to win by a very low margin. We were both wrong. But watching the game, I could see why it wasn't a surprise. Because Juve weren't convincing the entirety of the game. So for me, I think I went with Juve's pedigree and not the actual value or the actual performance on the pitch. Yeah, and... It, it, it's just fascinating to see that Ronaldo can even answer any of the goal. Well, it was just one goal, but I mean, do you, do you think this is going to be an issue in the return leg? I, I mean, how, how, how are you feeling that Juve will go into that game? Because I, I can see them being scared because they, obviously, ultimately, they're, the, the, the UCL is their goal this season. Um, but do, do you think Leon can actually pull up the upset? I definitely think Leon can pull up the upset. But the, your initial question is, will Ronaldo be able to save them? And I've actually seen memes and statistics being thrown around that since the knockouts of the last two seasons, only Ronaldo has scored all the goals that Juventus had in the knockout stages. So right. at this point, I'm starting to think, isn't it time for one of these other big players to step up and fill the void if Ronaldo is unable to actually deliver. Yeah, um, I mean, this is a Ronaldo moment, and I would not be surprised if he actually, you know, scores all the goals needed to get them past the stage. But let's move on to Real Madrid and City. Real Madrid lost to Manchester City surprisingly at home, and this is incredible. I mean, I think the more incredible part is, uh, you know, in this game, the, the more incredible part is City actually scoring a penalty. And I believe, I don't know if I've said this to you before or I've said it to other people, but I kept asking the question, why is Kevin De Bruyne not playing the penalties? Like, I don't get how he's not playing. He's a very good set-piece taker. So I would assume, and I'm not going to judge here, but I would assume that he also can play penalties very well. And sure enough, he played it and he got the game winner. Uh, But let's bring it back to the real game. What do you think happens to Real Madrid? Do you think they've lost focus for the for the Champions League? Not really. I think Manchester City is a tough team to play against. You can rationalize it and say they're having a bad season, but they are a team of systems. And one thing that a coach like Zidane had to keep in mind is, despite the fact that they were up early in the game, 
it was just hard to contain Manchester City for the entirety of the game. I don't think this game, I want City to win the Champions League, by the way, full disclosure. But I don't think this tie is over. I think it's possible that Real Madrid can go to the city of Manchester Stadium and beat Manchester City. I think it's possible. So I, I wouldn't say that I will count Real Madrid out because they have a squad. And going by what they did this past weekend, which we will get to, I think they are more than capable of reversing the tide in this fixture. What's your feeling about the penalty? Uh, you know, I think I actually think it's a penalty. Raheem Sterling is too fast for you to just lunge into a challenge and hope that everything's going to be fine. You have to be surgically accurate. Oh, well, I guess you're not surprised that they scored the penalty. I was actually more talking about... Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, in, in that case, I agree with you. Kevin De Bruyne on the surface looks like a very capable dead ball specialist, but we've we've actually had this on the episode, I think it was the fifth episode, the art of taking penalties is a subjectively different endeavor, and I don't know what goes, what goes on into making the decision of who takes it for Manchester City, but it was nice that he scored because they really needed it. All right, let's move on to the Europa League. This is a, a competition we don't really talk about a lot, but I am not going to bore everyone with the boring fixtures. Um, obviously, the uh, round of 16 is out. And I just want to point everyone's attention to the one game that I think will be the hardest game in this tie. And maybe I'll be wrong, but Inter Milan is playing Hetafe. And the only reason why I'm bringing this is Hetafe is actually beating right now Atletico Madrid on the table. And Hetafe has been a team that has gone under the radar of like a good team. And I'm saying this also from the back of Hetafe's uh, previous opponents in the round of 32 was Ajax, and they were able to beat Ajax um, in the round of 32. Now, do you think this is something that is a concern for Inter Milan? And the, is the the idea that that one team is the underdog and one team is supposed to be the, the, the top dog that's supposed to win this game, do you think that's going to play in effect here where the underdog will come through? Well, the underdog in this case, like you mentioned, is Hetafe. But I also think that the practicality of this game for Inter Milan cannot be overemphasized. This is a team that would very much appreciate winning something. So if they go into this with the mentality of being the heavyweight and thinking it's going to be a walk in the park, they will be surprised. Because like you said, Hetafe just knocked out Ajax. So that's something that I would be very wary of if I was Inter Milan. Yes, and obviously we'll have our prediction next season, uh, next next week in the next episode. Uh, so we'll see what you say at that point. But let's start with La Liga. The biggest game, arguably, uh, this weekend was the, the the El Clasico, and it was nothing short of entertaining in the fact that um, we didn't predict the scoreline at all. At least I didn't predict the scoreline. I thought it was going to end up being a draw. But um, I, I guess my question is, were you surprised that the scoreline was 2-0? And, and were you surprised that Barcelona, uh, you know, basically played like, played nonsense? Definitely. Big surprise there. If you remember, I don't know if you remember correctly, but I had said that Barcelona was going to win this and the whole La Liga conversation was over because it just looked to me like Real Madrid, every chance they got to peel away from Barcelona, they kept losing those opportunities. So I didn't see this coming, and it was very surprising. 
a few notes about Barcelona's game uh, is something I noticed, at least, and, and a lot of people have noticed this too, is Busquets. I have mixed feelings about Busquets. I think Busquets sometimes in certain games, he's he's such a great player and he, he's, he's untouchable. But in this game particularly, you could see that he was a little slow, couldn't keep up with the pace of the midfielders of Real Madrid. And um, I guess my question is, I, I mean, my thought was, that Frankie de Jong was going to take his position and then you'll have Vidal and, uh, and Arthur playing on, on Frankie de Jong's left and right, respectively. Um, but I guess my question here is, do you think Busquets is too old? And do you think maybe this is something that is detrimental to Barcelona's defense? Because obviously they've been conceding a lot of goals this season and it's actually getting quite concerning. Um, and, and I attribute this to part, you know, Busquets' issue of being too slow and old. Like, w- what do you feel about this? Well, it's definitely getting up there when you consider his age. But I've always been one who thought that he might have been overrated all along. Keep in mind, this guy played along some of the greatest footballers, Iniesta and Xavi. So I felt like maybe he might have been overrated all along. Definitely he's getting older, but... Was it all that we, we thought he was when all the when this team was winning all these trophies? Maybe he wasn't. And now that he is a very important core of this team, where well, he's always been an important core, but now where more is expected of him, it's becoming a little more obvious. Because you can you can put Pelo in the whole conversation. I, I feel like back very earlier. In the years, they would compare Busquets to Prelo in the way that he's a deep-line playmaker who doesn't have to play dirty to get things done. But you and I both know that Prelo did this until his retirement. Uh, I I have a different different feeling about Busquets. I think he's actually a very great player, but I do think the fact that he's old and slow is now, um, I would say maybe his style is is kind of out of scope. Uh, in, in today's game, just because you need uh, you need more pace, you need the the player that's going to play in front of defenders to be actually faster and be able to win the ball back if if he lose the ball. But I think Busquets actually a fantastic player, but I, I think he's getting too old. But I want to talk about one thing here um, and just something I've noticed since Kike Setien was hired by Barcelona um, is the non-verticalness of Barcelona. And, and what I mean by this is they. You know, Barcelona, the old Barcelona that we know is all about tiki-taka, tiki-taka. They keep the ball within, you know, keep the possession. But it seems like this team has trouble moving the ball up front, getting the ball to Messi. And and part of it is they're, they're obviously missing Suarez. They, they're missing that target man that is going to get the ball from Piquet and, and actually bring the ball down and then pass it forward to Messi or pass it forward to Ansu Fati or Griezmann in this case. But... Do you think the fact that they're not able to move the ball forward and they're just passing, you know, left and right, you know, from one from one side of the of the, of the field to the other side of the field, but you know, horizontally, do you think that's really hurting them? Because I mean, there's a crazy stat that I, I saw recently that Messi also hasn't scored in 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 uh, El Clasico since you know since uh, R- Ronaldo left, uh, which is which is crazy. But do you think this is something that is really hurting them because they're keeping the ball and they're just moving left to right and not forward? I actually think what Barcelona, the style of play that we've come to know and associate with Barcelona, tiki-taka, 
is more suited towards passing the ball and gradually progressing and not playing direct balls. So the non-verticalness, it's not a sudden development. It's something that's been a part of the scheme. Also, I want to say someone like Brickway, who I think is a point man, a, a, a target striker, can fill this void if you think that this is a problem that this team has. But I personally don't think that's the problem that they have. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's weird because when Braithwaite came in in the game, he played more like a, a right winger, which is kind of interesting. But I, I guess I understood from Kike Setien's point of view, moving Messi as a false nine so that he can kind of direct the ball. But obviously, like, I, I think they're missing Suarez. I think they're miss, missing a real target man. I think um, this is something that Valverde had. I mean, people complain that Valverde didn't play tiki-taka, but, I mean, he won them games. He, you know, he was able to to win La Liga, what, two times or three times when he when he was with them. He he got to semifinals consistent, consistently um, in the Champions League. Um, and I think maybe maybe the game has evolved a little bit. I, I'm not saying they shouldn't be playing tiki-taka, but they should do it in such a way that they are able to get the ball forward quicker than, you know, how... I don't know. I feel like I just feel like the game has evolved enough to not have to play the way they're playing currently. But I'm going to I'm going to ask you this one final question uh, about this game. And I know you picked uh, Barcelona to win this game um, this this week uh, this weekend. But does that mean that your favorite to win La Liga has changed? Again, remember at the beginning of the season, I would like for Real Madrid to win the La Liga. But like I was talking to a friend earlier in the day, I said that. I feel that Real Madrid will still find a way to squander this opportunity. And I think after all is said and done, based on the momentum that this, both of these teams have had, I think Barcelona is going to win the La Liga. With that, I'm going to move on and talk about the EPL, a league that is no stranger to soap operas and a lot of surprising events happened this weekend. But none other than the Watford-Liverpool game is my game of the week. And I want to hear your opinion on this. I, all I have to say is I'm very sorry for Liverpool. I hope you saw, you saw what I did there. But, oh my gosh, that was a game. I mean, I expected nothing. I, I didn't expect this. And this this was a surprise. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie. And I want to call out a friend, Justin McCabe, who said to me that Liverpool is eventually going to lose. And it's going to be to a small team. And obviously, he was right. I mean... Everyone, I don't think I don't think there was anyone that thought. I mean, they're probably aware there's a few handful of people that thought it was going to be the other way. But I think everyone just wrote this game off, and probably a lot of Liverpool fans didn't even watch this game because they probably were like, "Well, just another win for Liverpool." But this was very, very surprising to see. And I think the most surprising thing for me was the fact that they could not respond to any of the goals. Like, if it was a 3-1 or if it was 3-2, then we'd be like, okay, yeah, they were just unlucky, blah, blah, blah. But this was 3-0. No goal answered. I mean, there's no excuse. I mean, that was uh, an abysmal showing from Liverpool. I couldn't agree with you more. But a few things actually come to mind. The first being that, do you think at this point that Liverpool were looking ahead of this game. We're looking at fixtures like the Atletico Madrid game. We're already tweaking things and saying this is just another victory in the bag and let's not index or over-index on this game. Do you think that might have factored into what this performance was? I I don't think so, actually. I, I don't know because Liverpool is, this season, I have been good with like shutting off. I feel like 
Klopp is very good at um, making sure that they don't think about the future. They just think about the current game. And this is why and another thing that really surprised me and something like I realized like how how did they not even score a goal? And uh, you know, but I think part of the the reason why they lost this game is Watford came with a plan. They played Delafeo on the left wing and they played Sarah on the right wing. And you know what that means? Those two have pace. And all it takes is for Robertson or Arnold to go forward and then Watford just hits them on the counter. I mean, that's not exactly how it works, but that is the perfect counter attack or counter attack to Liverpool's, um, um, you know, uh, uh, tactics. Because if you really think about it, their fullbacks are really usually up high and all you need is just very fast paced wingers that will keep them, pin them to the back and that will basically deny them the attacking threats that they pose to different teams. But I, I don't think I don't think so. I think I really think that Klopp Klopp is very good at making sure that they don't think about the future. And maybe 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 that's just the effect of Atletico. Maybe Atletico really got under their skin. Um, maybe that's what it is. But I, again, I, I give Klopp credit for being able to basically protect these kids from from playing trash, so to say. But I, I don't. I, I highly doubt that that's the reason. I, I just think they had a very very bad game. And maybe mentally, maybe mentally, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But I, I just think uh, Watford also came up with a very good plan and, and it worked for them. Sounds good. So I would like for us to not take credit when credit is absolutely due. So let's talk about Watford for a second. And I know we've actually talked about this in a few episodes in the past where we talked about the progress that this club has made. Now, Watford is no longer, as of today, not in the relegation zone. What do you think, if there was one thing you could talk about this team, what do you think has brought about this resurgence, if you will? Yeah, I, so I, I can't really tell you because I don't really follow them too much. Uh, but when they hired a new coach, uh, th- things started to change. And I believe the coach knew what he was doing in terms of like he knew that he needed to uh, uh, basically encourage these kids or encourage the players that they can get out of this relegation zone. And obviously, like a lot of teams that are in the relegation zone, ex- especially if you've been in the in the league for so long, they just can't imagine being relegated. And I think that added feel to the resurgence that they're having right now. And I mean. Credit, credit to the coach, credit to the players, but they, they've realized that they have a fight and they know that they can win the fight. And I think the belief is what they have. And that's what got them to win yesterday. And very deservedly, the win was very worthy. Beating and stopping Liverpool, all the records they were they had right in front of them and stopping them. Definitely a good fighting spirit. And talking about fighting spirit, Norwich beat Leicester City. I thought that was surprising. Norwich, the, the team at the rock bottom going into the weekend, beating the third place team in the Premier League. Also, Bournemouth, who is now a team in the relegation zone, tied Chelsea. So a lot of interesting results. Spurs, Mourinho also managed to lose to Wolves. Wolves came back twice and then finally won the game. But my talking point, Bori, of this weekend is the Everton and Manchester United game. And I want to talk about nothing other than VAR. I usually find ways to, you know, just sidestep this issue. But I want to talk about it for a second. The decision to not give the winner to Everton. Can you rationalize it for me in a few seconds or minutes? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think we had this discussion um, uh, even early in the day. Um, and I'm again, I'm not going to say I'm right. I, I don't think I'm right. Oh, I don't think I'm wrong. Um, it's one of those things where it's left to the inter- interpretation of the ref. Um, but I, I just know what we, everyone, I, I believe, knows what the loss is. Um, you cannot, if you obstruct the keeper, then then it's not going to be good, especially if you're if the person obstructing the keeper is in an offside position. So that said, um, it's left to anyone's interpretation to feel or to to say that you know Sigurdsson uh, was in an you know was obstructing. Um, I personally believe he was obstructing just because one the ball was going towards him, and uh, yes, he kept his leg out of the way, but. Um, you can't tell me that De Gea, first of all, you can't tell me for sure 100% that De Gea was able to see the ball after the deflection. Uh, no matter what his body language was, I think he's a very uh, good keeper that can that has very good reflexes. Um, and I'm pretty sure he saw the deflection coming. Uh, well, not coming, but like once the deflection happened, it actually, the, when the ball deflected, he knew it deflected. But maybe as the ball was deflected and going to another direction, um, he didn't see it. Maybe Sigurdsson was blocking it. I don't know for sure. I'm just speculating. My point is, we can't really say for sure if De Gea was obstructed or not. With that said, since I'm I'm only giving the the I'm only leaning towards De Gea. First of all, because I know De Gea's ability. Because I know De Gea could maybe if Sigurdsson wasn't there and the ball was deflected and, and I gone and gone and De Gea had seen the ball being deflected fully. Um, then he would have maybe dove for it. We don't know that, but obviously we we can't tell that. I think there's a chance that De Gea could have saved it if Sigurdsson wasn't there. And because of that little chance, no matter how little that chance is, because of that, I give the you know I give I lean towards De Gea when it comes to the the decision that was made by VAR. Thank you for explaining your rationalization of it. And for me personally, I think that what what irks me the most is the fact that in the age of VAR, decisions like this cannot be be a little more clear to everybody because I feel like VAR should come in and make things a little clearer. But with decisions like this, to me, it makes it even it makes it even more controversial, more confusing. And my I think my dissatisfaction is more with how VAR interrupts or tries to adjudicate situations like this because I think personally that with VAR having a front row sitting into this decision making, if it's not clear and obvious, no change should be made from what the referee had called initially. But that's my point of view. And I know there's a camp that also believes that the obstruction is clear and obvious. So but I just feel like VAR this is a this is a situation that I would have benefited or appreciated VAR's interpretation, but VAR's interpretation kind of fails to meet what I expect of VAR. With that, Bori, let's move on to more interesting happenings in other leagues. Yes, in Syria R, um, this is incredible. Atalanta keep doing this thing where they keep scoring seven goals in a game. Um, and I always, this is something I always make fun of, of people about, like EPL fans about, because in the EPL you have games like, you know, 9-1 or 8-2 or whatever the score lines are usually. Um, but this is incredible. Atalanta doing it again. And I'm going to, and I know I keep posing this question to you every time, but after this game, I, and yes, it's Lecce and it's not a good team and it's a bottom team. Um, but again, Atlanta has done this like three times this season. Um, 
I'm still backing them for actually, and this might sound crazy, but I think they're going to be in the finals of the Champions League. Do you think I'm crazy? Definitely, you're crazy. But, you know, you've you've made crazier predictions that have turned out right. So I'm starting to think, should I put money on Atalanta being in the finals of the Champions League? But definitely, definitely with results like this, I feel like they can, they have a good chance of progressing deep into the competition. The finals would be a very tough task to get into because there are teams who feel like their season is going to be defined by making an appearance in the finals of the Champions League. Like, are they going to stand in the way of Barcelona, Manchester City, and Juventus? Only yeah. time we tell, though. Yes, yes. No, no. And the only reason why I'm saying this is just because of the state of the teams playing in the Champions League currently. I mean, yes, we, we think Liverpool is a, the most threatening team right now. But look, look, they're in a situation where they, they need they need a miracle, basically, to get past Atletico Madrid next week. Um, and then you talk about all the teams like Manchester City, who, do, you know, they don't have a really great defense. And I think this is a, this is a team, this is a perfect team for Atalanta to beat. So I just, I don't see any threatening team in the UCL for Atalanta, but obviously like, this is my wish. And honestly, I'm not, you know, this, you know, I, I'm not saying they're gonna win it or, or, or like, honestly, I'm, I'm making a very huge risk, risky prediction by saying they're gonna be in the final, but I wouldn't even be surprised if they get in the final. But let's move on to Lazio, Bologna. Um, Lazio, again, winning ways. I mean, they, they can't stop winning. And this is why, this is why I think they're definitely going to be uh, giving Juve and Inter Milan uh, a run for their money this season. Um, obviously, we had a coronavirus a situation in Italy and a few games were cancelled. But this means that Lazio is now on top of the league. Now, my question to you actually is with Inter Milan. Inter Milan now is, they have two games in hand, uh, you know, to be, to be fair. But they are about six to nine points away from the top. Um, do you think Inter Milan has, has lost the plot? I mean, we, we're more than halfway through the season. We have, what, like over 12 games left. Uh, do you think Inter Milan can turn this around and actually still win? I, I remember I remember that they are your favorite to win the league. I still think the, the, the league, winning the league is within reach. The team has to definitely win the games they have in hand, and then we can see how well they compare to all these other teams. But mathematically, they still are there, and they have a good enough squad now where you cannot complain about like the the you cannot complain about players not being tired because they have a lot of players in multiple positions. Yes, and the good thing that about Inter Milan is they have depth, and I do agree that they they you know obviously they still have two games in hand, so they could definitely catch up. But I just don't trust them as a team. I think I I think they may break down at some point, and I think that's why I definitely don't think they will win it. Definitely, we'll see how that goes. Let's talk about another title race that's brewing in the Bundesliga. Borussia Dortmund narrowly beat Freiburg this weekend 1-0. Jadon Sancho doing the damage. And then Gladbach, your favorite team, they still are in contention. They are only six points away from first place with a game in hand. What do you think about... Now, now actually, when commentators talk about Gladbach, they talk about a title race. Do you think this is still possible? Oh yes, I, I still think it's possible. Um, and uh, I, I guess I guess we can talk. Can I talk about Bayern? Am I allowed to talk about Bayern? Meaning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is this is first of all, 
I, I was going to say to you, and I forgot to tell you, that this is what I was talking about when I said, if the Champions League starts again, then Bayern will start falling. Obviously, they shot me up so much that they 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 played, you know, scored six goals. But the reason why I'm saying this is because Lewandowski is out for three to four weeks. And my point of saying this is like, obviously, the Champions League brings more games, more 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 um, stress to to the players, basically. And and this is why I thought that maybe Bayern Munich would start breaking. But then they went on to score six goals without Lewandowski. When just when I thought that oh well they don't have Lewandowski anymore, so they will start probably tying games or losing games because they don't have that finisher. But boy was I wrong. And 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 I'm just sad to see basically that I'm wrong because I can't just make uh, I I don't understand how they were still able to score six goals. Um, and, and without Lewandowski, but I think this is a threat to Gladbach. Um, and but maybe it's just a one-off game. Maybe next weekend uh, Bayern Munich will fall. Who knows? I don't know. But um, I, I think this is the part I, I think I was talking about. That you know, if the Champions League is back, Bayern Munich will start falling. Uh, but let's wait and see if that happens. Definitely, and that actually leads to my talking point in the Bundesliga this weekend. Bayern Munich scored six goals in the absence of the prolific, ever-scoring Lewandowski. And that's not the surprise. The surprise is that they did this in about 80 minutes, not in the regular 90 minutes. And you'll be wondering, why 80 minutes? Yes. They were playing Offenheim. Yeah. And the, the, the fans of Bayern Munich were basically protesting or insulting, had placards insulting the owner of Offenheim because he's a more than majority owner. Basically, the rule in Bayern, in Germany is there's a 50 plus one rule. You cannot own more than more than 49% ownership of a club, but he has an exception and he, he owns more than 50% of TSG Offenheim. So while the, the, the fans were protesting, the players of Bayern Munich and the players of Offenheim decided, you know what, we're just going to call this game. We're not going to sit here, entertain you while you disrespect the owner of a team. And I thought that was a very, very good gesture by the players. And a part of me now thinks that if they can do this for the owner, which I think is the right thing to do because nobody should be disrespected regardless. If they can do this for the owner of the club, I would want them to do this for their players when they get racially abused, their, their teammates when they get racially abused, because this can apply just the same way that that can apply. What are your thoughts? I mean, I don't know if you literally read my mind, because that, you know, because that's ex that was going to be my response to you. Only if they did this when a player is racially abused, then people will start realizing the impacts that they can make when players leave the, the pitch. I mean, Absolutely incredible that that they were able to do that. Um, also, this ha also happened in in the Dortmund game, I believe. And yes, the game. Um, so I would just love to see players walk out, especially when it comes to racism. And and yes, uh, I I understand the situation that they're you know they're in right now. And 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 I think I guess personally it's not fair. Uh, but but you know it, it's whatever, right? Like you. Like if they're protesting this much for something as crazy as this, like not really important because I don't I don't see how him owning more than fifty percent is a really a big deal. I, I don't I don't really get that. But um, uh, if they're fighting for something like this, I would just love to see it when when a player is racially 
abuse, and it's happened this season in, in the Bundesliga too. Yes, and I think actually sometimes change is not intentional. Change happens as as an outcome of just just serendipity or happenstance. But now that they've discovered that they have this power, I would like to see them use it in in scenarios of players being racially abused as well. Also, to round the Bundesliga off, Leipzig struggled a little bit. They tied Leverkusen. So now Bayern sitting atop the summit of the Bundesliga with three points to spare and a superior goal difference. And that makes me think, just three months ago, it looked like this team was not even going to make the Champions League. Now they're in first place with three points to spare and a superior goal difference. Are we? Can we call it? Oh, no, no, no. We can't call it because Bayern is going deep. I mean, they beat Chelsea in the Champions League. So they're going to go, you know, going to keep going. They're also one of my favorites to actually win the Champions League also. And I, I still strongly believe that this will affect them and give space or an opportunity to the previous, uh, to, the, to, to the teams that are below them. Although I would say this, though, uh, Bayern is playing a hell of a game. I mean, they are just absolutely, they, they've turned up the gear from where it was before to times a million, basically. That's how it feels. Um, but I would love to see them play against Bayern, Leipzig and Gladbach to see, uh, you know, what happens in those games and see if they can, because those games will be key. You know, when they're playing the top guns, those games will be key to decide who will actually eventually win it. Definitely, we'll see how this race goes to the end of the season. With that, Bori, that special segment of the episode, the part that I look forward to and pioneerly hope that you have something randomly, peripherally interesting to share. What's your random fact of this episode? Well, I believe you probably also know about the story, uh, but Oli McBurney, uh, the um, Sheffield United um, uh, striker, uh, basically, I don't know, it's something I've seen Dybala do and it kind of irritates me, but I guess now I understand. Uh, but Oli McBurney has a similar situation where he wears toddler's shin guards, basically. I mean, he said this in an interview, that he wears toddler's shin guards um, just because he doesn't feel comfortable with regular shin guards. And his, his word is, if I, like during the training session, he doesn't have to wear regular shin guard or any, wear shin guard at all, why will he have to do that? in in a real game so obviously uh the rule is every player has to wear a shin guard so he only he wears a taller shin guards to protect his shin his shin um just to meet the regulation um but it's just surprising to see that a player has resorted to little kids shin guards to to play a, a professional game that is interesting and i think it's it 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 reflects in a lot of other spheres of life it's basically when you're forced to do something and you cannot just like you cannot basically justify what you're doing this you do the bare minimum just to meet the requirement yeah it's crazy um so yeah i so when you watch him play you see his socks are rolled down and everything so yeah and you look at you know it's hard to see his shin guards but it's it's there it's just a, a baby shin guards and with that uh we thank you our listeners for um listening to the fourth official soccer podcast Yes, we are always on Spotify, Google Podcast, and also on Apple Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye bye.